Welcome to The Age of Trust, a special podcast series brought to you by Verizon that explores how we are securing our future for the fourth industrial revolution, with knowledge becoming critical to Australia's international economic strength. This podcast series explores themes that challenge the productivity of knowledge workers with secure and reliable communications. We discover the explosion in remote working and connectivity and how organizations will need to manage, secure, protect and organize intangible assets such as systems, processes, IP, data, personal information, corporate information and even competitive knowledge. Get ready for the new age of trust by Verizon. the Age of Trust podcast. Today, we'll be talking about the Internet of Things, or IoT as it's otherwise known. We'll be speaking with Frank Zeichner, who's the CEO of the IoT Alliance. We'll also speak with Andy Lamrock, Managing Partner of Global Solutions for APAC, the Verizon Business Group, where Andy works with Verizon's clients in the region to help them come up with strategies to protect their businesses and grow into the future. IoT has been around for a long time, but when we often think about it in terms of talking fridges or other consumer devices that speak to each other. The reality is that it's a fast moving and hugely important technology that connects some of our most important industries. Today, we'll be talking about IoT, some great examples of how it's working in the real world, and what 5G will do to reshape some of the way that these technologies are being adopted by some of our most interesting and important sectors. Andy and Frank, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Corey. Great to be here. Can I start by asking where we're at right now when we talk about IoT? It feels like we've been talking about fridges talking to each other for close to a decade. When we're talking about IoT, particularly industrial IoT, what are we talking about today? And I might start with you, Andy, just keen to give us a snapshot of what we're really talking about. Yeah, you're 100% right. It's been around for a, a, uh, quite some time, I think probably more than a decade. There's lots of sensors out there. Uh, I guess if I put it in perspective, I would say, they're the gadgets that people don't think of as computers, but they are. They have compute power, processing capabilities, and connectivity. And so it's been a, a long tail of development, 10 years. No, not really. 10 years is incredibly fast to see uh, an industry completely mature. And I think we're on the preface of seeing some pretty powerful examples in the future of acceleration of network capabilities, particularly around 5G, which we can talk about as we go. But I'm certainly excited about this space and securing it is definitely a big challenge that we do face. And Frank, as the CEO of the IoT Alliance, your members, can you give us a snapshot of what your members look like and what are the issues and challenges and opportunities that they're looking at today, given that sort of quite quick 10-year maturing process that Andy mentioned? Uh, thanks, Corey. Oh, our members... Uh, work across 12 work streams and seven of them are, are in industry verticals and they are transport, water, cities, health, manufacturing, food and ag. And what's really interesting about IoT is that capability for it's been around for many, many years, but the maturing of its of the sensors and of the data you're collecting for it is variable according to which sector and even within sectors. So, for example, in food and ag, there are some absolute standout farmers who use IoT in a massive way. You know, their value has gone through the roof in the last five years because they do. And there are 100,000 small farmers that haven't even touched it. And so the problem that we have is a question of awareness and scale and ability to address 
some of the complexities of IoT and simplify it for not just a few. And that's that sort of pivot point in the market. The costs have got to the point where it's now a goer, but the knowledge and the skills aren't quite lined up and the business cases aren't quite lined up. And part of our role is to facilitate that. And is that something that you see there's a there's huge opportunity for there that people understand that what the positive impact that better harnessing IoT can have? Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, look, 100%. I like how Frank covered all the sectors. I think it feels like it covers all of society and community in general, but there are definitely areas of strength that have been the early adopters in the business cases were very easy to spot and see. But the technology is also changing quickly. Frank talked about the use of data. So we're starting to see decisioning made around data and access to data. And so therefore, an industry that was typically low power, low data volumes and things like that is now pivoting to possibly much fatter pipes of data. So large transactions of data in very, very short periods of time. So low latency style communication. So the data pool is growing. And I think the business cases will um, start to surface a bit more as that matures as well. I'm going to come back because it sounds like you're kind of erring towards the 5G discussion there when you talk about <laughs> But before I do, and I'm not an expert in critical infrastructure, but all of the things you mentioned, Frank, seem to be fundamental to a functioning society. And I think that's been pulled sharply into focus by COVID, you know, transport, supply chains, water, health, food. So this is really important stuff. For me, what COVID's done is opened a few doors that were shut for the lack of impetus to move. And uh, let me give you an example where there are data sets already collected out there that haven't been shared before. And, and all of a sudden, because of COVID, private and public hospitals started sharing information about hospital beds. No brainer, really, in terms of managing uh, where people go. Telehealth became possible. So for us, a number of the barriers aren't just about awareness and cost. They're actually old business models, old regulations preventing the sharing of data. And then there's the new problem that we have, which functioning competitive global society that Australia wants to be has to fix. And they are questions of trust in the data, that the privacy protecting of the data and the trust in when you share it for the purpose that you're sharing with for a purpose that's valued and with people you can trust. And we haven't really yet built that in to the point where it's, well, no, we're near actually the point where that's a seamless thing. If we get there, we really will kick goals. There's a couple of things in there that I want to pick up on. The, the business models, and this goes back, I guess, to the erring towards a discussion around 5G and the business models that can really be developed as 5G continues to unfold in this country about what the business models need to be doing to make sure that they're prepared to harness that power, I guess. So that would be interesting, Andy, if you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. Okay. Frank touched on a super point there in terms of trust. Okay. Trust is critical. If you breach trust, be it privacy, confidentiality or anything, your business is gone today. We all know that. There's lots of cases around that. At the same time, trust, privacy, identity is also being challenged. You know, what is it? What does it constitute? How do we value it? How do we use it as a commodity or, or a transaction and those sorts of things? So there are a lot of things at play here. So I guess what it means that as we accelerate the ability to have low latency, high speed networks like 5G come onto the scene, what we're actually doing is is creating another problem where we're proliferating the amount of devices that can connect in a small space or a particular defined space. So we're going from 
tens of devices per square kilometre to millions of devices. And so all of a sudden, there's a lot of data moving around and there has to be a layer of trust. So the good thing about 5G is that it is governed by a set of standards called 3GPP, and we won't go into that today, but you can look that up. And the nice thing about that standard is that security is built in right from the very beginning. So that whole stack of 5G is very different to what we're used to. So we're certainly moving in the right direction. You know, the principles of moving to a zero trust model, so where a machine's actual is already authenticated and trusted in a particular environment, and therefore it can only transact in that environment. And so we have the ability to, if you like, signature or stamp that device. We have other technologies in the stack, such as machine state integrity, that can tell us if that device has actually been tampered with or hacked or is faulty or anything like that. And so when we start to layer those things into that model, not just 5G, but just connectivity in general, then we start to move to an environment where we have what I would call digitally trusted ecosystem. So I'll let you respond to that, Frank. I think we're moving in the right direction, but work to do. Yeah, well, indeed. And what's really great about, I mean, the modern 5G networks and everything else is that great security layer. However, it's a bit like saying we've got a really secure set of roads, but the car's unroadworthy. So the next problem is the devices, right? <laughs> Are the devices trusted? The people use good practices. Um, so there's a, a whole lot of work to be done yet on, frankly, identifying worthy devices that stick on the end of communications networks. Federal government's come up with a voluntary code of conduct for security for IoT devices. My view is that that's probably not sufficient because, one, nobody knows who's adhering to the voluntary code, <laughs> especially not the people who are buying the devices. So we need a way that, I mean, something like a trust mark or something that says, okay, this camera, this device, this whatever it is, is trusted. So there are bits and pieces of that end-to-end in this truly future data network that we haven't yet gone to. We're still in the early days of roads where... We haven't worked out we need seatbelts yet. We haven't worked out that you know, we need orange in the traffic lights. So some of those rules are still to be fixed up. And then some of them are not technical rules. They're regulatory, they're process, they're behavioral, they're awareness. And lifting that and everyone to understand that's going to help us a lot. Yeah. It brings me to another point, Frank, that you wrote an article for Innovation Oz two months ago, really talking about the need for leadership in the data and information infrastructure. And that touched on a whole range of things. And I think there was one analogy that I've seen around like train gauges and railway gauges between states, for example. We're talking about proliferation of data and then we've got protecting that data. And then I guess we've got how do we use it? What are the frameworks for making sure that we've considered what the future looks like? We are in nascent times in many regards. Yeah, look, this is so critical for us. There are a number of conversations happening. It's not all federated right now, but there are bits and pieces that matter. So, for example, federal government's looking at national data sets that we might reuse. Classic example for me is in the US, they have a national soil database, which all farmers can use for free. We used to have that in Australia. Federal government said, no, we should let one of the states do it. And then the state said, oh, we don't have the money to do it. And so in a country that, <laughs> that where farming is so important, we don't have a national soil database that farmers could use to help them and to plan and to do, you know, for a whole lot of reasons. And that's one minor example. So for us, the curation of the data that we have and the finding of the data, in fact, what kills me is that there is so much data out there, but we haven't even found out a good way in which we find it. Then there's the access to it and the authentication, many other things. So lots of practices to happen. The good news is that bits and pieces of that working, but we haven't really got a holistic view about 
intelligent data infrastructure in Australia. It's sort of the conversation always tends to be around communications or something else, but I think that layer, that data layer needs focus on a national and state level for them to get to grease the wheels, to get rid of the barriers, to erase the awareness. For me, that's what's holding us back. Uh, we'll be banging the drum on a number of those issues. Consumer data rights is a good starting point, by the way, that came out of the Productivity Commissioner. That will start making people aware that they even have data and that the data is transferable and it might even be saleable if they want to. I'd love both of your thoughts on this. And one of the themes that sort of emerged in this podcast series is the role that your government, industry, research, academia, that a lot of these big gnarly challenges and opportunities really need that kind of cooperative effort to unpick them. So when you talk to the state and federal government, you've given some examples of the impact on industry, particularly farmers or agriculture. And then, Andy, you see things where you really work quite closely with your customers around helping them navigate through the times. What are your thoughts on where there's better opportunity for collaboration and insight sharing here? Yeah, good question. At Verizon, we have a uh, principle of going to market around co-innovation and it served us very, very well. Uh, when I say us, us and our community partners, our community customers and things like that. And so when we work together and we approach this with a open mindset to what I would almost call a marketplace approach and you accept that you don't have all the capabilities, but together you could work out what you need and you bring them to the table. And so having those open standards to allow you to bring other parties into the co-innovation environment is how we solve problems quickly. Because if we try and solve them in our silos, we're going to stay in those silos. And there's a lot of lessons. You know, Frank talked about the industries before. I bet you manufacturing is learning from agriculture and agriculture is learning from construction, right? I remember we used to have customer forums where it was industry focused and then all of a sudden we pulled those walls down and once we got cross industry we accelerated that learning and adoption so regulatory industry bodies but as well as innovators need to all work together and it's that sharing of knowledge and that's the beauty i like about cybersecurity or the security space is really what it's known as is that the first principle of being successful is be open and to share what's going on so that we can learn together. I think my daughter has the best saying around this. She said, Dad, we can't solve the riddles of tomorrow unless we ask new questions. And so that's our job right here is to facilitate that. Is this the same eight-year-old you mentioned earlier? Because if so, I think she has a bright future ahead of her. (laughs) (laughs) It it is the very one. It's very impressive. I completely agree with you there, Andy, that collaboration for me is the key. I mean, IoT is particularly demands it because it's an enabler of the data. The data has this habit of flowing wherever it needs to. And it's trying to flow in places where it's needed but can't get to. And so that intersectoral boundary issue is a classic. I know that pharma sectors are coming up with their own data sharing frameworks. And the same thing's happening in transport. They're all different. Now, they've got different players and who you might share it with for what reason might change. But the technology in theory doesn't change. And I think there are many learnings that could be gleaned from each other. And so, of course, what that really means is you have many, many different permutations of cross-sectoral and collaborative models. That's really exciting, though. I mean, we're not going to solve that whole problem, but there's so much opportunity in between all of those. That's where we can go. That's really fires me up. So willing ourselves to break those boundaries in those collaborative frameworks, that's where you make impact. Definitely. And we're probably lucky that's the, the golden nugget that we have. If you have that energy and drive to discover, you can do some great things. So 
we are in a, a whole IoT or industrial IoT industry space is full of entrepreneurs, collaborators, and thinkers because we're solving problems with this technology that have, haven't been solved before. And it's hard to sometimes think of what's the user case, what's the business case, what's the outcome we can drive. It's not easy to see for some. So um, couldn't agree more. Very excited. Can I ask, because I think a lot of focus on entrepreneurship has been around some of the kind of well-known consumer-facing, shinier examples. I mean, Atlassian's obviously not consumer-facing, but there's a raft of others. But when you're talking about real entrepreneurship in this space, like you're saying, Andy, it it takes someone who's looking to solve a problem that might not immediately be obvious. You know, this is a bigger picture question, but I think if you're talking about the similarities rather than the differences between vertical sectors and the ability to take an idea or a challenge in one sector and solve a problem in another. Is there a profile of the sort of people that are doing really cutting-edge things at the moment? I actually think to be successful in that uh, arena, you need to immerse people in the actual experience. So if you can create what I would call a live fire environment where you bring anyone who's got ideas and products and solutions and things like that together to testing scenario. So at Verizon, we, we run this thing called Operation Convergent Response in North America every single year. And the best of the best fly in there for a three-day live fire example of you know, a cyber attack, a disaster, a wildfire, or whatever it might be. And it's the collaboration of people with all of these technology, most of them IoT, by the way, across multiple network connections to try and work out what a solution looks like. And so I attended one last year. And out of that, that whole emergency response is now maturing all those first responders into something that I'm really excited about. And I think there's there's a couple of Aussies doing a good job in this space, and that is environmental monitoring and community health. There's an IoT meshed network down in the Latrobe Valley monitoring all different levels of PM, particle matter, to detect airborne pathogens, contagions, smoke for bushfire, contaminants associated with mining, et cetera. Okay? And this is just happening in our backyard. And so I think that whole space, and if we think where we are today with COVID, imagine if every single car driving around that's connected in the IoT world had its HEPA filters for the air conditioning tuned to pick up particle matter that might suggest we've got a pathogen or a contagion in the air. We can change global health just with one little flick of a switch. I reckon that's an amazing example. I'm just also curious about the Operation Convergent Response and the fact that we looked at emergency services in one light and, and then the example was really much more about another type of emergency scenario, which is something like air quality and having had the bushfires and stuff, we're starting to see the application of technology to a much different set of problems than we would have been 12 months ago. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the common threads with IoT is that all of a sudden the ability to use real-time data is yes. like an absolute king hitter. Everyone plans on historical data, but now you have data that's happening all the time, and so many businesses are only manned seven or eight hours a day, or not even manned, or beaches that are not looked at You know, for swimmers. That, and let's face it, most drownings don't happen in patrol beaches, by the way, by a long shot. So it's the idea that you've got real-time data that you never had before. It's hyper-local, so it's not like rain that's happening 10 kilometres away where the bomb station is, but rain that's actually happening here as opposed to you just missed it two kilometres away that changes what you want to do for farming. All of those things now change that business model in slight ways 
It also allows you, because you can do the real-time monitoring, you're now looking at things in a consumption way, not just in a capital way. And so the business models are starting to change where you're selling the service. One of our partners in, uh, in IT Alliance is Bosch. And they said, we're changing from this buy a drill, it was a bit of an exaggeration, but to buy a hole. So you buy a thousand holes that are two millimeters in diameter and four inches deep or whatever it is you want to be. And so you're buying that service. No one wants to buy the hot water service. They want to buy hot water. So you start rethinking because you're actually now measuring the thing you actually care about, not the machine that does it. So it's a bit of a mind changer. So it doesn't take long for you to think an entrepreneur can really, really, really use that. Nailed it, Frank. <laughs> the real time and that switch, it's, uh, it's the outcome we buy, right? It's interesting. There's, I think it's actually a trademarked phrase of the subscription economy, but you can really subscribe to anything. That does require to be able to have some real-time analytics. and Absolutely. So they're going back to that. So whilst those case studies and use cases are here right now, we can see them and understand them, it also requires a certain level of network integrity. Like things have to be able to talk to each other. So I guess that's the big picture that when we're talking about the way that you know, devices might talk to each other, we can capture real-time information and data points and insights that there has to be reliable. And I guess that's probably where Verizon sits specifically and that goes back to that trusted network as well from a cyber perspective but also availability. Your thoughts on that? And this is probably one of those conversations you'll have most days, I'd expect. Yeah, look, security is so important to us as an organisation. It's important to the community as well. I think uh, when you see our Prime Minister come out and put the whole nation on notice that we've got to be more cyber aware. As much as that's a little bit daunting, it is a indication of, of where we're going. And so to be able to protect this environment is really important. I mean, the last thing we want is for autonomous vehicles to become this wonderful part of our life. They get hacked and they start running over pedestrians. No one wants that. And so the challenge we've got and what we're trying to solve at Verizon is that in the cybersecurity space, typically what we see is that it, it's days, weeks, months, and even sometimes years, we're a bit better than that these days, when we detect a breach or an anomaly across the attack surface. And if we're in the IoT and the real-time world, as Frank calls it, a car at a traffic light and a pedestrian in front of them, two feet, we're talking milliseconds. So we've got to be able to detect a breach, a hack, or some sort of integrity drop-off, anomaly, whatever you want to call it, in milliseconds. That's the challenge that we've got before we're going to see really big, powerful community projects happen. Autonomous vehicles, they can do everything now. There's no question about that. But the actual full commercialization and the run to that is going to depend on how we secure that in real time as well. That's the challenge. Yeah, and indeed, the sort of network resilience and trustworthiness of good networks are probably the key to the next evolution of IoT, which is when you're actually using the information in real time to actually do something, not just to monitor, not just to take it in, but if you're actually turning on traffic lights, telling a car to stop, or um, turning on a sprinkler system, or shutting a gate, all those things require anything that looks like a critical infrastructure, you know, like the water for the community or fire service, that needs another level of quality of service, not just packability, but also availability, time up, those sort of things matter more. And so I suspect we're going to see a different sense of appreciation for what's important and what's not. I mean, for farmers, most of them aren't acting in real time when they fertilise, so it's not such an issue. 
But I can tell you that it, it is an issue if they're autonomously driving their tractor around and doing <laughs> and mowing through their uh, their fields. So different network attributes are required for different types of criticality of service and whether they're actuated or not, whether they're actually performing robotic acts. And, and as we get to more robotic management of stuff and opening of buildings and stuff for certain people, that's really going to matter. Yeah, definitely. We've got challenges already with critical infrastructure and those sorts of things already. I preferred attack surface or attack focus for, for hackers and things like that. Imagine water valves opening up in dams and all those sorts of things, and we can't control it. So I think what, you know, we should have some good news here. So in terms of what Verizon's doing here, we've all heard of multi-access edge computing or MEC as we call it. So we're moving the compute power closer to the devices as well, which means that we can sustain that real-time response, being able to create real-time action. We can also then layer the security all the way out to the edge there, which is great. So that means that our ability to detect and respond is amplified. Our zero trust models, so rather than you know username, password type methodologies, these pre-proven signatures that these devices exist. And then when you wrap machine state integrity, which uses a, a blockchain type technology to confirm the identity and the actual integrity of a device, it's binary. It's either in, integrically safe or it's not, allows us to make decisioning quicker. So if I was to sort of summarize what we're doing and what we could help is we need New standards, and I think 5G with 3GPP is a great step in our industry around networking going that way. Zero trust, network segmentation, too deep to go into network slicing and creating priority across networks for critical infrastructure, but we can do those things. I think it's really important to maintain great hygiene just as it is anywhere in your business. So asset centricity, risk centricity, outcome-focused approach to that dwell time, we've got to reduce that as much as possible. So whatever we can do to understand the context of the situation is important. But most importantly, this is cultural. If we're not all aware and it's not all part of our employment agenda or our community agenda to, to be aware and better, we, we can't solve this. So um, that's where we're working in that space. And so there's a lot to do, but it's positively moving forward, that's for sure. Andy, that was a perfect summary. I appreciate that. I'm going to hand over to Frank for your summary where you sit as a CEO of the IoT Alliance. We've seen huge shifts and progress made in the past six months due to circumstances beyond our control, I think we're calling it. What would you like to see in the next 12 months? There's a different lens on the IoT sector. What does success look like? Well, such a big one. <laughs> I think the sort of national view that we managed to get out of COVID that's happened through health, I honestly think needs to happen across our key infrastructure. And I think that an attitude of, of um, it's about the data is probably a way of focusing it. So it's not about IoT so much, which is the technology you can use, but if we thought about the hundreds of billions of dollars we're going to be investing to keep the nation going on infrastructure and buildings and roads and schools, we should have data embedded. We don't add it later. You don't add the seatbelt later to the car because it costs you five times the price. But the benefit of having the data inbuilt and available means we can now look at the life cycle cost, the utilization, and all that stuff. And for me, if we can pivot the country to thinking about how we can use the data and that the data itself is valuable to be used, 
in parallel, let's educate and change our laws and educate our people onto what good data use is and indeed what good practice for sharing data with citizens is as well. For me, there's an imbalance today with citizens and businesses where it's all on the citizen to decide, I give you consent for my data or otherwise I don't have the service, as opposed to the service provider should be saying, I give you my guarantee or my trust. You can trust me that I will manage your data in a way that I'm liable for if I don't do it right. So in other words, there's an assumption of trust collection, not just give it to me or you can't have the service. It's not quite the same balance. So I think that sort of level of sophistication in our whole ecosystem from community right through to business is what we need. I think 12 months is probably too short to get that. But it'd be really great if we focus first on the infrastructure build side, because at least we get that. It's not as threatening. But for it really to have an impact, it's got to hit the community. And the community's got to get benefit out of it. So that's what I'm looking for. Thank you so much. Again, lots of optimism, lots of opportunity, and lots of opportunity to see technologies that actually ultimately affect the way we live and work in a really positive way. I'd like to say thanks to both of you for joining the Age of Trust podcast today. Frank Zeichner is the CEO of the IoT Alliance and wears a number of other hats. And Andy Lamrock is the managing partner of Global Solutions for APAC at Verizon Business Group. Thank you to you both. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Andy. We hope you enjoyed this special Verizon Age of Trust podcast. For more, keep tuning in to Innovation Oz podcast or go to verizon.com.